0: Now, today we are in week number three of a message series called Relating to Humans. And if you're awake, I wonder if you could say that with me, Relating to Humans. And last week, Stacy did an incredible job with the message. She talked about how do you deal with difficult people in your life. And when she gave the message, I was thinking about this illustration in particular about the people in our lives that are very difficult to endure, and they're kinda like holy sandpaper. You have anybody in your life like this? Like maybe the way they chew their cereal is just, just a little off, or maybe they talk a little bit too loud, or they cheer for the wrong sports team. But when you're with them, they, they, they're kinda like sandpaper. They, they rub off the rough edges of you. And Pastor Rick, if you've been around for a while, used to call these people EGR, Extra Grace Required. And he would say that if you're in a small group or you're in a family, there's always one person who's EGR. Uh, but if you don't know who that person is, it's probably you. So maybe, <laughs> maybe today you are the holy sandpaper. Now, we all have holy sandpaper in our lives. And we have uh, relationships where we're the sandpaper in other people's lives. And the goal in these relationships is to persevere or endure. To allow God to use that relationship to form and to shape us. To become more and more like Jesus. But wouldn't we all acknowledge that there's another category of people in our lives that they're more like a hammer. And wherever they go, whatever they do, they are constantly looking for an opportunity to hammer somebody else. And these people are not just difficult, these people are destructive in nature. So they're destructive with their words, they're destructive with their attitudes. They're destructive, sometimes even abusive with the way that they treat other people. They're hammers. And we would also want to acknowledge that people who are hammers, the goal with them is not to persevere. The goal with a destructive person is to protect. It's to get yourself out of the way of the hammer when it's being swung at you. And perhaps today you are in a relationship with somebody Who's destructive? So, the question that I want to wrestle through today is how do I handle a relationship with a destructive person? How do I deal with somebody that every time I interact with them, there's harm that's coming my way? And I have in mind, perhaps, some of you who've been in or are in abusive relationships where maybe a parent or a spouse is physically, emotionally, or sexually abusive to you. And I have in mind some of you that maybe you're in a marriage situation and you have a spouse that's in a a relationship, an affair right now, and you're trying to figure out how do you protect yourself in this relationship? And I have in mind some of you who are students, who are young, and maybe even you have a classmate and you're dealing with bullying and you're trying to figure out how do you handle this relationship that is destructive in nature? Every single one of us at some point in our life We'll find ourselves in relationships that are destructive, with people that wound us, that hurt us. And even times in our lives, we'll we'll wound and hurt other people. And today we're going to wrestle through, how do we handle these relationships? Now, I want to acknowledge this on the front end. I am not a trained therapist. I have enough therapy in me to be dangerous. And so my goal is not to help you from a therapeutic angle today... Now I do believe that there are times where we need that kind of help and we have an incredible team here of counselors and people that work and care and we've put together a resource that goes along with the message. So today, if you digitally fill out the next steps, you can just click I want that guide and I've given you some questions and our team helped with this, some questions to wrestle through when you're in a very destructive relationship. How do you know if you should get yourself out? How do you know if you should remove yourself? And this will help you along with the message. So uh, Dr. Henry Cloud said one time, I was in a conversation with him, he said, I, I wish preachers would just preach and let counselor, counselors counsel. And that's true. It's a, good, it's a good point. So we have a team that does that. I'm going to preach today from a different angle. And I'm going to share from my journey some things that I believe will be very helpful for you. Now, the big idea of the series has been this. Transform people. Transform their relationships. So we've been talking about if you've been changed by the love of God, the natural natural outflow of that is that we we would bring change into our relationships. But how many of you would be willing to acknowledge that there are some relationships in your life that no matter how hard you try to change those relationships, those relationships are not changing? It's like you pour your energy in, you pray, you do everything that you can to change the relationship, and the relationship is not transforming. What do you do... When you're in that situation now I want to give you two big questions to wrestle through when you find yourself in a destructive relationship that you cannot change and the first question is this what is the best path ahead for my safety and my health what is the best path ahead for me to protect and get myself in a safe place what's the boundary that needs to be drawn And again, that resource guide will help you with some of these questions. And our team here would love to come alongside you with that question. Now, the second question is, what is the best path for healing in the relationship? So what's the best path for me to get healing in the relationship with the person that I'm relating to who is seemingly destructive in the way that they're treating me? And I want to share with you what I believe are four options And I'm going to go through this pretty quickly, but it's important to know that all four of these options are not mutually exclusive, and they're not always simultaneously possible. So let me explain what I mean by this. Sometimes you find yourself in a destructive relationship, and the thing that you need to do is reduce access that this person has to you. So I think of King David in the Old Testament. Now, King David, before he was the king, he was a harpist, he was... He was the young man that threw the stone and knocked Goliath down, and when he was successful in, in his ventures in the army, he was brought into King Saul's house at the time, and when he was brought into King Saul's house, at this point, young David was already successful, and they were singing songs in Israel like this, Saul has killed his thousands, and David has tens of thousands, and this made Saul very jealous. And one time Saul was so jealous that he picked up a spear and just chucked it at David as he was playing the harp. And David sprints out of Saul's house. And I want you to notice David didn't stay when the spear was thrown at him. So there are times where people in your life, you have to draw boundaries and reduce or remove the access that that person would have to you. Now, the second option is to rebuild trust. And there are some relationships where people who are destructive in nature, over time they change. But it's important to recognize that any relationship where trust is rebuilt, it's a, it's a mutual agreement that both parties have to work on the relationship. So trust, if it's going to be rebuilt in a relationship, requires the person that you're working with who's destructive for them to own the part of their, the situation or the relationship that is theirs. Now Solomon in Proverbs talks about three different types of people. He talks about wise, foolish, and evil people. And wise people, they understand the way that life works and how God works. Foolish people oftentimes are making mistakes out of naivety. And they're just destructive in the things that they hit, but they're not intentionally destructive. So they break things, hurt things. But an evil person is the third category, and an evil person is often intentionally destructive. So for that person to change, they actually have to repent and let God begin to change the pattern in their life. So you have to recognize, is this person willing to change? Are they willing to own their part of the problem? Number three is to reconcile the connection. Now, Jesus made a statement about reconciliation, and he said, if you're giving your gift at the altar, if you're worshiping, if you're singing songs, and you remember that there's somebody in your life that you have a strained relationship with, go to that person and reconcile the relationship. So God's desire is that there would be peace in our relationships with each other. But there are times in my life, and I'm sure for you, where you've tried to reconcile the relationship, and you go in to have a conversation with somebody to try to come back together and come to agreement, and they've got the hammer. And maybe even they told you they wanted to reconcile, but when when you try to reconcile, they're they're doing everything that they can hammer you down, so you you get away from the relationship. So sometimes reconciliation is an option, sometimes it's not. But I want to spend the bulk of my time on this fourth and final response, which is to release forgiveness, to give forgiveness into the relationship or to give forgiveness to the person that's wounded you. And the reason that we're going to spend so much time here, and I want you to hear this. In fact, I want to encourage you to write this phrase down. Trust can sometimes be rebuilt. And reconciliation can sometimes be restored. Sometimes, not always. Sometimes you can rebuild trust. Sometimes you can restore and have reconciliation again. But forgiveness can always be extended in a relationship. Forgiveness can always be extended. And I want you to hear me right now. I want you to lean in and listen to my words. This message is a message that has the power to change your life. And I believe that there are some of you today that you have been living in the prison of offense or bitterness for decades. And today is the day where God's gonna put the key in your hands and you're gonna walk out in freedom at the end of our time together today. I believe that there are some of you today that have been in such a prison of offense, such a poison of bitterness, that today is your day of freedom, that God wants to release forgiveness from you so that you can walk out of this place free today. And we're gonna look today at a passage of scripture Found in Matthew chapter 18, I'm gonna teach through this passage of scripture and we're gonna walk through a story that is all about forgiveness. And today I wanna talk about what is, forgi- what is what forgiveness is, what forgiveness is not, and how do you and I step into greater levels of forgiveness for the freedom of our souls. Now Jesus is spending time with his disciples in this story. And I love Peter in the Bible because Peter is one, one that I can certainly relate to. Undoubtedly, Peter is an extrovert. He talks way too much. Like, if you remember, there, there was a time where Jesus is like up on a mountain and the presence of God is there, the Father is there, Moses is there from the Old Testament, Elijah is there, and Peter's like, hey, sh- should I build something for you guys, like a house or something? And so he, he just he's always putting his foot in his mouth. Well, this is, this is one of those times where Peter's, with the disciples, I imagine them being young teenagers, arguing with each other a lot. And Peter comes to Jesus, and he's got a a question for Jesus, and this is the question. Peter came to him and asked, Lord, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? Have you ever asked that question? Like how many times is enough? They keep doing the same thing, they keep saying the same thing, they keep treating me the same way. How many times should I forgive them, Jesus? Seven? And that seems like a lot, right? They're mean to you seven times. They mistreat you seven times. That, 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 That should be good enough, right? Well, Jesus looks back at Peter and he says, No, not seven times, Jesus replied, but 70 times seven. Now, this is not a math equation here, okay? This is Jesus raising the bar Of forgiveness to say this is what it means for somebody who follows me to live the way that I commissioned them to live to demonstrate the same love that I'm gonna demonstrate for you 70 times 7 is the level or the number of forgiveness that I want from you now Jesus is going to take this and he's gonna launch into a story that explains forgiveness from the angle of the kingdom of God and it's such a beautiful story. This is one of my favorite parables in the Bible. I say that often. It's one of my favorite passages of the Bible. I say this to my wife, to Stacy. oftentimes I say, that's my favorite meal. And my kids joke, you say, that all the time, Dad, it's, it's your favorite meal. How can they all be your favorite meal? It's just positive reinforcement. It's all my favorite, amen. Okay, so, therefore, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king... Who decided to bring his accounts up to date with his servants who borrowed money from him. Now Jesus is going to describe. I want you to notice the different characters in this story. Because each of them matter. And the first one is the king. So the king gives out a loan to his servants. And he decides with his servants he's going to call These accounts up to date. So he's gonna go on collection. Now, if you've ever had a collector call your house, you had a student loan, or you had maybe a credit card debt, or maybe you could make some bill payments. This is this anxiety of a creditor coming after you is not a very good feeling. So here is this guy, the creditor is coming to collect his accounts. He decided he wants to bring them up to date. And he's going to those who have borrowed money from him. Now in the process, verse 24, it says one of his debtors was was brought in who owed him millions of dollars. Now I want you to imagine this for just a moment, what this guy must have felt. Because this amount of money, the millions of dollars that this man owes back to the creditor is an amount of money that he would never be able to pay off the rest of his life. No matter how hard he worked, he could never pay the millions of dollars back to his master. It says he couldn't pay, so his master ordered that he be sold along with his wife, his children, and everything that he owed, owned to pay back the debt that was owed. So imagine for just a moment what this guy must have felt, because in his mind now, this means the millions of dollars that is owed as a result of his choices, not only he, but also his wife and his kids are to be thrown into a prison. And he's gonna spend the rest of his life because there's no way that he can pay it back. And if you've ever been in a situation in your life where somebody else has suffered because of your choices, I want you just to imagine that emotion for a moment, what this guy must have felt. My wife, my kids, my family are going to be negatively affected for the rest of their lives because of my choices. So this is more than a creditor calling about a student loan. This is like you're going to spend the rest of your life in prison for the millions of dollars that you owe back to your master. And so this guy, he comes back to the master. And it says when the master comes to collect... It says, the man fell down before his master and he begged him, please be patient with me if you will. I will do everything that I can to pay it back and he pleaded with him. So he is so overwhelmed with emotion. And I imagine this guy on his knees. He's weeping because he's feeling. This is what's going to happen to my family. And if you just give me a little bit of time, I'll go, I'll go back into the field. I'll work hard. I'll, I will do whatever it takes so my family doesn't have to go into a prison. And he's weeping. And this emotion is coming through him as he's standing before his creditor. And his creditor, the master looks at this man and he had all, of his, all of his sadness, it says that this creditor, this man, when he saw the man, he was filled with pity or compassion for him. He was filled with emotion because he saw this man with eyes of mercy. And I want you to notice it says he was filled with pity for him and he, what did he do? he released him will you say it with me he released him he released him and then when he released him he said go you are free and forgave his debt so i want you to imagine what this guy must have felt like he's out of prison and he's doing this hallelujah joyful dance i'm free I was supposed to spend the rest of my life in a prison and now I don't have to pay the debt back. I am liberated. So he goes home to his wife and his kids and he's like, the debt is gone. It's not a debt he could have paid. There was no amount of money that he could earn that would take care of the debt that was owed. So he is liberated and free. And he walks out. And when he walks out, somebody else walks up to him. And the guy that walks up to him is one of his servants. And notice what Jesus says about this man. But when the man left the king, he went to a fellow servant who owed him a few thousand dollars. And so now there is this massive disparity between what the man owed to his creditor in millions and what the servant, a fellow servant, owed him in thousands. And in this moment, when you read the story, before Jesus gives the next line, the thought, intuitively, you would think, well, release the guy, like he's free. You were just forgiven millions, this guy owes you thousands, let him go. But this servant, this this guy that was just liberated millions of dollars, Jesus describes the story, he says, this man, when the servant fell down before him, he said he comes into him, He grabs him by the throat and demands instant payment back. So I want you to imagine this man. He's got his hand on his throat and he is saying, I want my money back from you. Pay me back my few thousand dollars when he has just been liberated from millions. And his fellow servant did the same thing he did. He fell down before him and he begged for a little more time. Be patient with me. I'll pay it, he pleaded. But his creditor... Wouldn't wait. So he had the man arrested and put in prison until the debt could be paid in full. So now this man is thrown into a prison for a few thousand dollars when the other one had just been released and forgiven millions. Do you see the disparity? Jesus is telling us this story to help us understand what is forgiveness. What is forgiveness not? And sometimes in our lives we have been liberated by the grace of God. The debt has been paid and we are holding in contention. We are holding in offense the people in our lives who have wounded us. And it's harming our souls. And it's causing destruction to us internally. Now it's important to understand sometimes... When it comes to forgiveness, we don't release forgiveness because we get confused about what forgiveness is and what it's not. So I want to encourage you to write these down. First of all, forgiveness is not trusting again. So for this guy to walk out and release the one who owed him $3,000 is not for him to say to the guy, well, I'm going to give you another few thousand dollars. This is him forgiving and canceling the debt that was already owed. And sometimes we get confused. We think, well, if I forgive the person, I have to trust them again. No, you don't. You don't have to trust them if you're going to forgive them. You can forgive them without trusting them. Trust is something that once it's been destroyed has to be rebuilt. So it's not the same as trusting again. Number two, it's, it's not reconciling connection. It doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to be best friends with them again. Just because you forgive them for what they did in the past to you doesn't mean that you're going to golf together. Doesn't mean that you're going to watch football together. Doesn't mean that you're going to be best friends at your place of work or they're going to be your best friend at school or you're going to do all your holidays with them again. It does not mean reconciling connection. So if you can separate in your mind, it's not trust, it's not reconciliation, and it's not excusing the hurt. It's not looking at somebody who's wounded you and saying, It's okay that you did what you did to me. It's not okay. And I hope that you can hear from me deep in my soul from a heart of compassion because I know there are so many people in our church, you carry deep wounds. And what they did to you, what they took from you, the pain that you've endured, it's not okay. The abuse that they inflicted on you, it's not okay. We are not excusing the hurt when we make a choice to forgive. Forgiveness is very different than excusing hurt, reconciling connection, or immediately having trust. Jesus is trying to help us understand the power of forgiveness for the human soul and the liberation that God wants to provide to you through his love for you. And he continues his thought. Now watch what he says after this. It says when some of the other servants saw this, they were very upset with this. Understandably so. So they went to the king and told him everything that had happened. And then the king called in the man who had been forgiven and said, You evil servant, I forgave you that tremendous debt that was owed because you pleaded with me. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on? On you. Let me read that one more time. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? And then the king, angry, sent the man to prison to be tortured until he had paid his entire debt. So the thing that threw the man back into prison was not the debt, but it was his choice, his unforgiveness, his unwillingness to release the man that had a debt against him. And some of you today, you are locked in a prison of bitterness. You are locked in a prison of unforgiveness. And today is the day that God wants to liberate you by his grace. Today is the day that he wants you to walk out of that prison of offense. I remember a woman, when we started our church in the Bay Area, Lourdes from the Philippines. And one day I was preaching on forgiveness and Lourdes, she's sitting in the service like you are right now. And she starts thinking about her husband who's been dead for decades. And he had been this harsh, abusive man to her. And at the end of the message, I just challenged as much as I knew how I said, release them, release them in your heart, be free. And she made that choice. And she came up to me no less than a dozen times over the next 10 plus years, every time in tears. And she said, I was angry and bitter in my soul, but I'm free now. I'm free because of forgiveness. See, forgiveness, when you understand it, it changes your perspective and how you step into it. The first thing is to understand that forgiveness is both an event and a process. So forgiveness actually starts when you're locked in a prison of bitterness and you say, I am stepping out. That's the event. That's the choice. But how many of us know that we've been in a relationship where we've continued to get wounded by the people and there's a process of healing that your soul, my soul, has to walk through. So it's an event plus a process. Forgiveness is an event and a process if you're taking notes. The second one is that forgiveness is the quickest way out of bitterness and into healing. It's the quickest way to fling open wide the door of bitterness and healing. And it's, it's, it's one choice in your heart to say, I'm going to release the person. And sometimes that prison that you've been in for decades can change. It's not that you're automatically healed and there's no more pain and sorrow. There's no more difficulty. You're always going to be healed and happy. No, but that one choice to step out, it's the quickest way out of the poison of bitterness that creeps into the human soul. The third one is that it's only possible with God's help and his mercy. It's only possible with God's help and his mercy. I have in my mind this image of a sermon I watched one time. Corey Ten Boom is speaking. She wrote a book called The Hiding Place. And she said that she was standing on a stage and she was preaching. Now, it's good to know that Corey Ten Boom in World War II she was somebody that God used in a very powerful way to save Jews. So as the Germans are coming through and they're sweeping the land for Jews, uh, Corrie Tinboom Boom would take with her family these Jewish little boys and girls and families and put them in her basement, hence the hiding place. And she did this and she saved many lives. But at the end, she was taken to a Nazi prison camp with her family, with her sister and her mom and her dad, And over a period of of months and years, all of them, except for Corey died. She was the one that lived. And at the end of her life, she went on a mission to share about the grace and the mercy of God. And there was this one time she was preaching and she was standing in front of a large group of people. And at the end of the message, she calls for a response. And she said that when she calls for the response, she sees this man walking towards her And when she locks eyes with the man, she realizes that this is the man from the prison camp that beat and murdered her family. And when she sees him, he walks up to her. And he notices, she's one of the ones from the camp, and he's like, I decided to follow Jesus. And he's like all happy and everything's cool. And she said, in her heart, she grew so cold It was as if this deep darkness swept over her soul. And she said that when the man reached out to touch her hand, it was like a coldness coming from her hand into his hand. And she said, oh God, I I, I can't forgive him. I can't forgive him. And then she prayed, oh God, that you would be merciful. And by your grace, you would help me to forgive this man And she said it was as if the Holy Spirit began to melt her heart and love for this man flowed into her heart, through her arm, into this man's hand. And she made this statement, oh, you have never touched the ocean of God's love until you learn to forgive your enemies. There's an ocean of God's love that you experience in that moment. And it's only by the power of the Holy Spirit. Forgiveness is a supernatural act. How could somebody who has been sexually abused by another human being walk in freedom of forgiveness? It's only by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's it's an act of God that literally changes the human soul. And this is the distinction between followers of Jesus and the rest of the world. It's by your love that they will know you are mine, Jesus said. So there is a miraculous gift of forgiveness that God wants to give to you. He's gonna give it to you right now in this moment. There's something God is doing, stirring in your heart that is a supernatural act right now. It is literally an act of God to bring forgiveness to the human soul. Now I wanna recognize that there's also Clarity around unforgiveness that helps us step into freedom to understand what unforgiveness is. Because unforgiveness, unforgiveness is a prison. It literally is a prison that punishes your soul. When Stacy and I lived in the Bay Area, there's a place called Alcatraz. It's a prison. I went to Alcatraz twice. For our international audience, it's not a current prison, okay? Just in case you're wondering if your pastor went to prison twice. <laughs> and once was enough for me. I, I mean, it was cool, but, you know, at Alcatraz, you, you go in and you kind of get the Alcatraz experience. It's cold, it's wet. It's right across from San Francisco. There's cold waters, shark infested. And part of the punishment for people who were thrown into Alcatraz is that they could, they could look across the water and they could see the city and they could hear it, and sometimes it would be so clear that they could hear the laughter on the other side of the water. And there they are in this prison, and everybody else is free. And maybe you feel that today, you are locked in, you see the joy, you come to church and other people are smiling, but deep in your soul, you're locked in a prison of offense. The word for offense literally means bait. So there was a book written called The Bait of Satan, it literally is a bait that Satan uses to pull you into a prison and you're stuck and you can't get out. There's no freedom. It is a prison that punishes the human soul. Now Not only is it a prison that punishes the human soul, it is literally a poison that destroys your relationships. So there, there, there's no way to drink from the poison of bitterness and it not seep into your relationships. Somebody once said that bitterness is, a, is literally a poison that impacts where it's stored more than where it's poured. So it's on the inside. It's like drinking poison and expecting somebody else to die as a result of it. And the Hebrews talk about This bitter root that gets in the human soul that literally grows up with tentacles into relationships. So sometimes you find yourself. You ever had this happen where one thing happens and you erupt. And that eruption is not akin or not equal to what you're experiencing in that moment. Because that eruption is a compilation of bitterness that's built over the course of time. And there was one offense that was this level and another offense that was this level and it built over time so that your heart became this poisonous place that impacted everything around you. God can take that bitter root today and he can pull that root out of your heart and put love into you. Hebrews 12, verse 14 through 17, I want to read these verses to you. It says this, Work at living in peace with everyone. Now, isn't it interesting that it says, there's another version that says, as far as this, it's up to you, be at peace with all people. It's good to know there are just some people you're not gonna be able to be at peace with. So work at it and work at living a holy life for those who are not holy will not see the Lord and look after each other so that none of you fails to receive the grace of God. What the enemy will do is he will get you separated from the grace of God and he will start to breathe these lies into you you are not enough you cannot forgive you cannot forgive and the person that he will often bring to your mind that you cannot forgive is you so deep in your soul you're disconnected from the grace of God And Hebrews says, see to it that nobody gets disconnected from the grace of God. And then he goes on to say, the result of being disconnected from grace is this. It's a bitter root that grows up to defile many. It just flows into the lives of people and it impacts our relationships. So that root literally is growing when the grace of God is not present. But thank God that there is a way that grace can be poured into the human soul and those deep recesses of our hearts that are hurting, that are broken, that there is a king, there is a God, there is one who comes to fill that space in the human heart. But the only way out of it is to understand this last point, and I'm going to finish on this. Bitterness or unforgiveness most importantly, is a personal affront to the mercy of God. It's a personal affront to the one who stretched his arms on a cross for us so that we could be forgiven. And today, his arms have been stretched and his love has been demonstrated for you. The scripture says in Romans 5.8, but God demonstrates his love for us in this that while we were still sinners christ died for us now jesus finishes his thought and says this that's what what my heavenly father will do to you if you refuse to forgive your brothers and your sisters from your heart and i don't think jesus is saying this as a sentence i believe jesus is saying this as a reality That when you are in bitterness, you are locking yourself in a prison of offense. And there is a deep freedom that the living God wants to give to your soul today. And you hold the key. You're the one that has the key to step out of this prison right now in this moment. And I have found, y'all, I don't know your story. I don't know what you've walked through. And I'm, I'm sure... For so many of you, your offense and your wounds are so much deeper than anything I've experienced in my life. But I, I've, I've gone through some stuff. And there was a moment this summer where I was walking through a situation that was very hurtful. And there was this song that I just kept playing over and over again. And every time I would play it, my heart would shift. And deep in my soul, I would pray. And I would say, oh, God, I pray That you would liberate the people who've wounded me. I pray that you would bless their families and their kids. I pray that you would display the same mercy that you've displayed for me. Because as I heard these, these words that talk about the blood of Jesus that was spilled out on my behalf. And I thought about and remembered all of my sins that Jesus has paid for the debt that is owed. I could never work hard enough. I could give my whole life going to small groups, tithing, spending time with Jesus every day. My good effort would never cross that chasm. It would never pay the penalty for my sin. But hallelujah, thank you Jesus. He stepped in my place and yours. And his blood was shed so that you could be forgiven. So you and I can walk in liberty before God. Not based on the consequence of our sin, but based on the mercy and the grace of God. So when I stare into the perfect eyes of Jesus and this love, this blood that was spilled for me, there's freedom. And I'm telling you today, I'm free I've been liberated because of forgiveness because of God's forgiveness to me and I want you to know today that that freedom that forgiveness God wants to give it to you you've got that key so I want you right now we're gonna sing this beautiful powerful song I want you to imagine that key that you hold in your hand And I want you to imagine that person deep in your heart. They may not even be alive anymore, but they're still occupying your mind and your heart. And in this song, I literally want you, you can write their name down unless they're with you. Don't write their name down if they're sitting next to you. But during this song, I want you to make a decision in your mind to release that person and walk out of the prison of offense. Hallelujah. We praise you, King Jesus, for you have taken sin and nailed it to a cross. And with one mighty act for all who would come, rich and poor, young and old, every nation, tribe and tongue, we are free. So as the Bible says, for those that the sun sets free, they are free indeed. And so we receive our forgiveness in you today and we will become a people of forgiveness to release those who have wounded us so that we can be free at the depth of our soul. We give you praise today, King Jesus, for you are worthy. Thank you that you stepped in to bridge the gap. Thank you for your love, your blood that was spilled.